the kingdom of God? What does it look like? How do we find the kingdom of God? And, and we've looked at a number of different things. As, as we continue to look at that, it, it, it's worth noting that every revolutionary, every, every reformer, every, uh, everyone who would change things from, uh, from the, the communists to the, 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 the patriots, uh, all these people... Uh, they didn't really change things as far as the system. We didn't turn the system around as much as we changed who was in charge of the system. They didn't redo everything as much as they wanted to change how the system worked for them. That's true of almost all revolutionaries, of all reformers. Next year we're going to have a big election cycle. And and despite all the rhetoric, we're not really arguing about big government or small government. We're arguing about who's going to be in charge of the big government. That's the way our system works. Until Jesus. Because when Jesus came, He turned everything upside down. His revolution was so totally out there, so totally different from anything anyone had seen that that He made everything new. Jesus comes and and He doesn't merely tweak the existing system. He he turns it upside down. He turns it inside out. Jesus doesn't just walk in and say, let's do things a little bit differently. He says, in my kingdom, the last will be first and the first will be last. He says... The poor in spirit, the meek, the persecuted, the merciful, the mourners, mourners, these are who are blessed in my kingdom. No longer is it going to be about who is the strongest or the fastest or, or the biggest or the richest or the most powerful. No, in my kingdom, it belongs to children. It belongs to those who have no voice to advocate for themselves. It belongs to those on the outside looking in. And then he got busy meddling. He starts changing Scripture. Now, we we don't get this because we've read it so many times. But all those times in the Sermon on the Mount when he says, you have heard it said, but I tell you, he's changing Scripture. We don't get how big a deal that was because we've heard it all our lives. It, It would be like if I got up this morning and said, you've heard it said that you can eat whatever you want, but I tell you that a true Christian only eats vegetables. Now, you'd laugh. And it wouldn't stop you from ordering that hamburger at lunch. But when Jesus does it, it's more like if I stood up here and said, traditionally the Church of Christ is not worshipped with instruments, but next week we're going to have the full band. Some of you are bristling right now. And you're getting just a tinge, just a little bit of an idea of what it was like for these people. Jesus was rewriting the Bible. He was changing the words of God. And who has the authority to do that? Only God. And so when we, when we get a picture of what he's talking about, we understand why these people got so irate, why they got so frustrated. Then he starts saying, when you give your offering, not if, but when you give your offering, don't do it in a lavish manner to be seen by others. When, again, if, you, not, not if you pray, don't do it to be seen or viewed as, as this super spiritual person. When and we don't like this one, you fast, don't mope around letting everyone know how holy you are, don't worry about all the external trappings of spirituality. Instead, what God is worried about is what's on the inside. And so he says, ask and it will be given to you, seek and you'll find. And that's his message. 
Then he goes out into the community and he starts interacting with people. People that he wasn't supposed to interact with. He interacts with Roman centurions. The, the centurion that comes to him and, and, and is wanting his servant to be healed. And, and Jesus uh, is, is talking to the man. And the man says, I know that you could heal him without even stepping foot into my house. And Jesus says in Matthew 8, Truly I tell you, I have not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. I say to you that many will come from the east and the west and will take their place at the feast with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. Then there's a woman with the internal bleeding. You know this story, but we don't understand that she's unclean. Her very presence in that crowd is a stonable offense. Her her very presence being there is something that they would kill her for because if she touched any of them, she made them unclean. But Jesus doesn't just touch her. He calls her daughter. And He says, daughter, your faith has healed you. The blind and the mute come to him and they say, and Jesus says, do you believe that I'm able to do what you're asking? And they say, yes, Lord. And he says, then he touched their eyes and says, according to your faith, let it be done to you. His teaching was challenging. His teaching was disturbing. We don't get how disturbing it is when he says, let the dead bury their own dead. Don't worry about burying your dead father. Come follow me. He lays down serious demands, uh, alienating, hard demands. He says, don't suppose that I've come to bring peace to the earth. I didn't come to bring peace, but a sword. I've come to turn a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies will be the members of his own household. And anyone who loves their father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves their son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever does not take up their cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds their life will lose it. and Whoever loses their life for my sake will save it. So much for family values. Jesus has turned everything upside down. It's a different kind of revolution. Even John the Baptist, who had proclaimed Jesus as the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world has doubts. He sends messengers to Jesus and and, and they ask, are you the one who is to come or should we expect somebody else? I read a study this week that said over 65% of Christians polled have admitted to either currently experiencing or at some point in the past experiencing doubt. But we don't talk about that. Now, I also read in that study that many of the people who leave the church, who who stop coming to church, is because those doubts get in there and they don't have anywhere to express them. They're not supposed to talk about that in church. We're not supposed to admit that we're wrestling with things. Well, I'm going to tell you here, we want you to express your doubts. In this congregation, we're okay with you expressing your doubts because... expressing those doubts, wrestling with those doubts, is making your faith your own. Because there's lots of churches where there are 80-year-old people who are still living out mama and daddy's faith. They haven't made it their own. It's a habit, like brushing their teeth before they go to bed. They don't really know why they do it. It's just been instilled in them by their parents. Having doubt means that you're wrestling. It means you're making it yours. And we want to encourage that. 
And you can know that you're in good company. Because John the Baptist wrestled with doubt. And how does Jesus answer him? He says, go back and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight. The lame walk. Those who have leprosy are cleansed. The deaf hear. The dead are raised. The good news is proclaimed to the poor. Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. Jesus' answer is about fruit. Jesus' answer is, the way you tell the kingdom is because of the kingdom things that are being done. The way you see the kingdom of God is you see the fruits of that kingdom. The worldly kingdom of sickness and sin and death is being shattered by the kingdom of heaven. And Jesus affirms John the Baptist. He says uh, that, that he was Elijah preparing the way. And then he, then he says something really offensive to the Jews. He says, I tell you, among those born of women, there is not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. Now, when you say he's greater than anyone born of woman, that includes Abraham, that includes Jacob, that includes Moses. And if you're a Jew, that's one of the most offensive things you've ever heard in your life. That this guy who ate bugs and lived out in the woods is greater than Moses. That's why they get mad at him. But then he says something even worse. The least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. It's upside down. It's revolutionary. The kingdom is small like a mustard seed. It's, it's hidden like a treasure. It's valuable enough that you sell everything and, and go after it like a prized pearl. It's like a net bringing in fish of every type. It's upside down. It's revolutionary. He says it belongs to children. More so, he says that unless you change and become like a child, you can't even see it. But anyone who accepts that position of helplessness, of, of insufficiency, of dependence like a child will become the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Because as we see the kingdom of Jesus, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven that he's talking about is radically different. It's revolutionary. It's unlike anything the world has ever known. The kingdom of heaven is an economy of faith. The currency of the kingdom is not denarii or, or Roman coins or, or even dollar bills. The currency of the kingdom is faith. All through Jesus' interaction with people, you see Him say, your faith has saved you. Your faith has made you well. Your faith is what matters. The kingdom of heaven is an economy of faith. When Jesus heals, it's on the basis of faith. When He speaks of the greatest in the kingdom, it's on the basis of faith. Those He commends as being the greatest in the kingdom is because of faith. The currency of the kingdom is faith. Paul himself is going to say, the only thing that counts... The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself in love. Just like Jesus' answer to John, faith expresses itself in love. Faith lives out by its fruits. Faith ministers to those who are sick or hurting. Faith, faith ministers to those who are dying in the kingdom of this world. James will later say that faith without some sort of action is worthless. It's dead. It doesn't exist. The currency, the kingdom, the, the economy of the kingdom is faith. So this morning, if you have doubts, I'm saying that's great. I, I, I'm, I'm serious. I want you to know that you're welcome here, and we want to walk through those doubts with you. If you have struggles, if you're struggling this morning with not just faith, but, but, but with life in general, we, we say that's great. Peter's going to say that those things are happening to refine your faith, to make it more valuable. 
The kingdom is revolutionary. It's upside down. It's built, though, on faith. And the ultimate question that we ask then is, do you have faith? That's the question that Jesus asked over and over and over. Do you believe that I can do this? Do you believe this is true? Do you have faith? And it's the same question He asks of us. You don't have to understand it all to have faith. You don't have to be able to explain it all to have faith. You don't have to be super Christian to have faith. You don't have to be perfectly righteous to have faith. But the economy of the kingdom is faith. This morning, we're going to sing a song and invite you to express that faith. We want to go with you. If you're, if you're struggling, if you're, if you're wrestling with something in your life, we want to pray with you because that's expressing that faith. That's lifting you up. I had a former elder call me a, a week or two ago and he was struggling with some, some physical problems. He was going into the hospital and, and, and this was a, a man that, that I had looked up to and he was struggling. He, he was shaking. And he called me and we talked for a long time and, and, and I said, uh, can I pray for you? And he said, I, I just don't know if my faith is strong enough to pray right now. And I said, that's okay. I'll have enough faith for both of us. That's what we're talking about right here. Let us lift you up. Let us supplement your faith. Let us have enough faith for you as well. That's why we sing this song. That's why we offer this opportunity for you to express that faith. You can walk by faith. The economy of the kingdom is faith. The currency of the kingdom is faith. This morning, express that faith. Faith expressing itself in love. Step out. Express that faith. Enter into the kingdom through faith right now as we stand.